Welcome back. You're listening to Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and today's episode is all about the arts. Cue the choir. Amazing indeed. I'm talking about public art installations, murals, donor walls, artist interviews, but Before we get started, this wouldn't have been an art episode if I didn't talk about the Chandler Center for the Arts. Cindy Cerf introduces Backstage at the Center, which gives you a sneak peek into what they're all about. Hi, this is Cindy Cerf, and welcome to Backstage at the Center. In each episode, I'll give you a glimpse behind the curtain and on the other side of the stage door at Chandler Center for the Arts. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Chandler Center for the Arts General Manager, Michelle McLennan, about the new season what people can expect, which shows are her favorites, and a little bit about how she became an arts professional. Stay tuned to the end to hear some great stories from Michelle over her 22 years at the CCA. So we're here with Michelle McLennan, General Manager at Chandler Center for the Arts. Thanks, Michelle, for the time today. It's our inaugural um, episode for Backstage at the Center. I thought it was a perfect way for us to start it off so that that way you can talk a little bit about everything that's going on for the season, what people can be looking forward to. We've got a lot of performances that the community can look forward to. to enjoying here at the Center. It's been a year since people have been actually more like 18 months. Um, Talk a little bit about the process of bringing artists to the center. Yeah, so this year has been quite different from the typical process of how we do it. Many of the shows that we've been working on, it feels like we've been working on them for two years, and that's because we have. Uh, You know, we were already in the process of booking our 1920 season, and I'd say about 70% of these shows were in that season. So uh, with the pandemic closing us in March of 2020, uh, and just you know, our entire industry being just decimated. Uh, It's taken a lot to coordinate um, bringing tours back. Many of these are single engagements and many of them are parts of tours. And the challenge with touring is that, you know, you have different jurisdictions opening at different times and there's just so much, uh, there's been so much unknown. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I finally feel like we're really at a place where we're actually going to be able to do it again. So I'm I'm pretty excited. Yeah, because I think people don't think about the fact that, you know, when we have an artist here, they might have been in Texas or maybe California before they've come to us. Right. So it's like this. It's like a whole string, almost like you think of like a like a like a necklace, right? If one part of the string falls apart, then everything falls apart. And how to line all of that up. I mean, that's the whole idea. Their production crews are programmers, our finance, our marketing, everything is supposed to be. So you just walk in and have that experience and all the behind the scenes is, I mean, to me, that's the most exciting part. That's why I love it so much. But, uh, you know, it is, it is a lot of detailed work. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe it was different to put the season together this year versus what it's been in the past year because of the us being closed for 18 months? Normally in a season, I create kind of a vision of what I see for that year. There's some thematic nature to it. And this was really, how do I make all of these contracts whole with these artists and get them back here? And the cool part about that is for many of these artists, whether their returns are new, this will be the first time they've played, you know, whether that's the first time they've played at all or whether it's just their first time playing Arizona, So I think there's going to be a certain magic to each and every one that is unlike anything we've ever experienced before. 
It is exciting, right? It's a little scary. It's a little exciting. It's a lot scary, but I also have goosebumps on just, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to be in the audience and just to feel that energy. And, you know, I was talking to someone who said they went to a show in LA and that before the show even started, there was a standing ovation because people were so thrilled to be in it. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of space that audiences give artists. And I think that they, hopefully, I think we understand the privilege that it is to be in the audience and have an artist perform for you. I think we take that for granted sometimes, what an incredible privilege that is, like to sit inside of this group at this time in this moment. That'll never happen in this moment again. I think that's part of the magic of going to a show, right? It's everything that happens, and like Michelle said, it runs through super seamlessly, but there are so many things that have to go right in order for the audience to get to experience that performance the way the artist meant you to. As both Michelle and Cindy get ready for the new season, of course, they had to share what they were most excited about. Okay, so first of all, mostly kosher. I'm so excited for, I know that People are like, who's Mostly Kosher? Well, uh, Mostly Kosher is an incredible Judaic band, but they do a lot of world and high energy music. And it's just something that's very hard to describe. But I went to this booking conference and they were playing a Uh concert there. And literally, you know, first of all, you should know that arts professionals like myself and people who do presenting are the most cynical people on the planet. We are, we have seen every show there is so many times and yes, we get inspired, but we also are very judgy. Okay. So literally everyone in the entire conference started moving towards this room and it was like, what is going on over there? Uh And, and it was the most electric, fun, uplifting, joyful experience. And it made me feel like I was like the happiest person in the world. And it turns out they played at Disneyland. They were like the happiest place on earth, right? And so they're they're just incredible. You need a good crowd for that one. So I just, I really want to get a lot of people here so the crowd can experience it. So that's mostly kosher. And then right on the tails of that is We Banjo 3. I, this band has played here before. I've been mildly obsessed for a lot of years. They are as good, not only are they, unbelievable musicians. They're incredible people. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's evident when they're playing how loving and wonderful they are. And they have this commitment to, you know, they have this whole other side of what they do because they do all this work for mental health and, and do all this stuff for people. And they have this song called Happiness. And, you know, when I was super depressed in the pandemic, I would listen to their music and it really lifted my spirits. And I know the kind of electric space that's there when they play, and that's definitely like on my top of my list. Um, I am obsessed with Storm Large. Uh, I always have been. I've seen her six times. I'm gonna. I can't wait to see her play the big room here. Um, she's incredible. She. I mean, she's been on America's Got Talent this week, but she's been a big star long before America's Got Talent. You know, a lot of the things aren't necessarily because I particularly love the music. Many times, it's about I love watching the audience enjoy the concert. So that's, um, so I have certain ones for that, like Boney James. Um, The the way that the audience gets into him, I mean, it is, I could literally sit and face the audience and watch the concert because people are so into it. It's such a sim, it's such an arc, right? Between the audience and the performer. And if the audience doesn't give, the artist can't 
give as much. So it's it's so it's so like the curation of the audience is to me one of the most exciting parts. Michelle also listed several other acts she was excited to welcome onto their main stage, starting with Meow Meow. For all of you theater lovers, this is not a risque cabaret performance as Michelle described it. She also gave high praise to La Santa Cecilia by saying, and I quote, the lead singer has the greatest voice of all time. Once I lived the life of a millionaire I don't know what else will get you to watch their show if it's not that. Michelle described them as authentic, with a carne asada on a Sunday in your backyard kind of vibe with a little bit of salsita, and did go as far as to say that they were the type of artists that you want to watch over and over and over again. And for all of you Christmas music lovers, she said Sons of Serendip was one not to be missed. but. Okay, okay, back to Cindy and Michelle. So um, switching gears a little bit, because it's obvious that you're very passionate about live performances and performing arts. Um, talk about your first live show that you went to. Who was it? As a kid? Yes, oh. who was it? Where? Oh. How old were you? What kind of impression okay. did it make? This is a loaded one. I mean, I went to a lot of concerts, but the first one that I really like was obsessed and I saved all my money for was Duran Duran. <laughs> Oh, that's a great one. It was so good. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I waited outside where the, where the meet and greet, you know, where they came out because I didn't have any connection to get in. And like Nick Rose, they went to the vehicles and like, I went and grabbed a cigarette butt that he had thrown down on the ground. It was so 80s. (laughs) Where was that? I think it was at the UAC, which, okay, so the UAC was the University Activity Center, which then became, I think, Wells Fargo Arena. But anyway, it was on ASU campus, and it was like, a, it, it was over by the stadium. Uh-huh. And ASU Public Events used to do, that, used to book that. So that's where that was. I also saw Tina Turner open for Lionel Richie there. Wow. Yes. Oh, I've seen so many. Incredible. I saw Prince. I've seen, not there, but I mean, I... I had a friend who was in the uh, concert business, and um, his, and so we got to go see everything. I saw Jerry Curl in the Summerfest, New Edition, Cameo, The Time, Morris Day, Trenere, um Blondie. Like, I, I mean, everything about the, like, I think I saw every amazing concert of the 80s that was possible. Talking about first concerts or shows, I asked some of my coworkers what their first concert was. And I don't know if you have seen that tweet where it describes working in government and it's like having a government job will give you a 50-year-old best friend. The age gap is noticeably there and the answers that I got from my coworkers prove exactly that. So my boss said her first concert was Poison, which was a hair metal and rock and roll band. I won't age her, but I have never heard of that band, and I'm 25 years old. I don't know if it's me or if it's just with the times, but another one of my coworkers said hers was Weird Al, the guy who does those parody songs like White and Nerdy. 
And mine was Paulina Rubio for all of my Latinos out there. I know Cindy asked Michelle where her first concert was, but the follow-up question that we all want the answer to is, Michelle, do you still have that cigarette, bud? Is this part of the reason why you became an arts professional? Like, how did you journey down that road? Well, I, I think that love for musical theater was instilled, right? Like, I, I went and saw some shows, and fortunately, I got to see some more, and, and I just liked that personally. But what really had me go into the arts was I actually was not... Um, you know, I I had disappointments. I was a I was a actor. I wanted to be an actress, and I was you know if you're going to be an actress, you have to deal face disappointment every single day because you were rejected all the time. So I never stop it. No, because I'm uh, you know I'm I can take it. I I just keep persevering, right? So that was a good thing in like the lessons of being an actress. But I also knew, um, you know, I kind of wanted to start a family, and 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 so. I didn't want to have that kind of instability of, you know, I didn't necessarily want to move and have to relocate and, and, and go to L.A. or go to different go to New York. I, I wanted to be here. So that was part of it. And then ultimately what what really had me say there's nothing else on earth I could do is when I was in I mean, and I guess that came before then I was in high school. And I had dropped out of high school because I had, I mean, we won't get into that. That's a whole nother podcast. But I had got, I had dropped out of high school at the time and I went and showed up at rehearsal because I had been in the theater department and I went and showed up at rehearsal and Mrs. Lewis, our theater instructor said, well, you can't be in the show. You, you're not in school. And, and it was like literally the first time that it had occurred to me that I couldn't be in the show. Yeah. And so I, I did correspondence classes. And back in that day, you I had to like mail in my assignments, 26 mm-hmm. assignments a week I did while, you know, so I could make up so I could graduate on time. And like, and the only thing that had me go to school was theater. There is nothing else that I was interested in. And so while that didn't have me become an arts professional, it's the heart of the work. And it's why I am committed to our mission work, which is our Connecting Kids program, and that our arts programs are available to people who don't have other avenues. You know, I wasn't from the right neighborhood. I didn't get the right classes. I didn't get the right training. I didn't have the opportunities that a lot of people had. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it it literally changed my life. I mean, I the direction and trajectory, I have this incredible career of doing what I love every day. And I could have just, you know, gone down a whole different road. So that's like, that's enough for me to like have my life's work be about how do we make tons of money doing what we do so we can invest it all back so kids can see shows. And that's why we get to do our free shows and field trips and connecting kids and visual arts classes for young people. And because there are people out there who don't respond to traditional education and not that you can respond to traditional education and have the arts, but the arts have a different way of getting in and accessing people's souls. And they make, they, the, the arts are going to be what gets us out of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. They are going to be what has us be whole and be able to, you know, along with many things, but they are going to be a thing that has us be able to have dialogue and deal with all of the issues our country is facing. Nobody gets away on this life without being moved by music, by architecture, by beauty, by design, by, you know, everywhere you look is art. So even if you say you're not an arts person, I know you are. You are. You just maybe don't say that, but everybody's an arts person. 
can you maybe share like a couple of some of your favorite experiences in the 22 years that you've been at the center? Uh, the first big, biggest deal ever when I was early in my career was Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. And I got to drive them to the airport and they wrote material in the car as I was driving them. And that was like, you know, growing up watching the Carol Burnett show a little bit, not a lot, but I was a little young for that. But my sisters watched it and just the, the legend of that was pretty amazing. And, you know, there's certain, Rosemary Clooney, I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Um, Burt Bacharach, Marvin Hamlish, uh, you know, the, there are names that, you know, now I look back and I go, wow, you know, that's a long time ago, but those are legends. You know, Rita Moreno, uh, so many. There's been so many legends that I have had the privilege of meeting, experiencing, watching them perform, and that's more of in that classic. And then when you get into like some next level stuff for me, um, I think when we did Katie Lang, that was a game changer for the venue because it was such a professional tour. It took us to a whole different level. And, and you know, I think that that was then followed up with our season for our 30th, which had like, there's nothing that could be, I mean, we had John Cusack, we had Bernadette Peters. I mean, our last show we, of that season. That, I mean, like we had, we had India Re. I mean, India Re is someone who I would have, I actually saw her before, but I would have like went out and sold anything to get a ticket to go see her. And she was in our venue. Yeah. Like what an incredible thing that was. And just, you know, all of the artists of that season were just miraculous. And, Squeeze. What else? Oh gosh, Squeeze. We had Leon Rhymes. I mean, the, you Melissa know, Etheridge. Melissa oh, Etheridge was incredible. in that one. I mean, there were just, there were so many and each one is its own, own thing. And they all have different, you know, moments in time. And, and I am the luckiest person I know to be able to do the thing I love all the time. And it makes all of the administrative work. And let me tell you, there's a lot of it. It's not all, it's all not, it's not all fun and games, <laughs> but it makes all of it worth it because it's like, gosh, you get to do that. How cool. It is something really special to present a live performance, like of any kind. It's yeah. something really special. Michelle updates a playlist for the center where you can get an idea of the upcoming season and you can find that on Spotify by searching Chandler Center for the Arts. Also, if you want to check out any of the shows that Michelle and Cindy discussed, you can always go to chandlercenter.org and find them there. Now, since we're covering all things CCA, it would be wrong of me not to mention the Chandler Cultural Foundation. The nonprofit organization was formed in 1989 and they serve as the programming and fundraising for the center. Just recently, the Center for the Arts celebrated 30 years of cumulative giving, and to celebrate that, they collaborated with local artists Safwat Salim, Ben Lewis, and Chelsea Hickok for a new non-traditional donor wall that's featured inside of the CCA to honor the people that have contributed towards the center. The Chandler Cultural Foundation determined it was time to create a donor wall that was reflective of the gathering space the center had become. Working with the city's visual arts coordinator, a call for artists and their design ideas for the new wall went out into the community. We looked up a lot of like donor walls in some of the libraries and some of the local places um, that we have access to and they all looked like they're meant to be seen from a distance and they felt unapproachable and not necessarily inviting. And to me, any art that I am interested in, I feel it should be accessible. And at the time we were like, what if there was 
a wall that was not a wall, but it was more like an installation, but it's still a wall. And, and you could play around with it. It had multiple sides and, and it would tell you a story uh, depending on which side you approach it from. There were just ideas that we wrote down in a proposal not fully knowing how to do them. And once we wrote them down, we were like, well, I think we need to find somebody who can help make this real. From there, we were able to say, okay, well, 12 columns is the right number of columns for this project. They need to be about a foot on each face and to keep people from getting pinched when they're spinning, we need a little bit of extra space. I think another part of the inspiration is just seeing those kind of graphic images that can change as you move by them and understanding how that works on a very small level and seeing if we can make it happen on a larger, more interactive level. The concept was to honor the donors, but also have something interactive and really exciting for people actually visiting the space to touch and it can, it's, you know, child-proof and that you don't have to be too precious with, but that is still definitely a piece of art. We also wanted to play with how perspective and point of view plays into each individual's understanding of art. And so we were able to play with, with the different surfaces and the design. For the installation, we wanted to do three sides because it's like a nod to the past, present, and future of this space. Um, and each of those three sides also tell a story of like what happens in this space. And because the arts open minds and the arts brings people together and the arts also shows us new worlds, those three sides combine to tell a story of the space and also the impact art has on us as individuals and as a community. I feel like it's also really important to note that the funding for exhibitions that happen within the Vision Gallery and the gallery inside of the Chandler Center for the Arts are made possible by the Chandler Cultural Foundation. Peter Bug sat down and talked to a self-described visual artist, book illustrator, graphic designer, and occasional crafter who has an exhibit titled Between Two Worlds, Storytelling and Artwork. My name is Peter Bug, and I'm the Visual Arts Coordinator for the City of Chandler, and you are listening to Chandler's Got Art, and I'm talking today to Shachi Kale. Kale. That's perfect. All right, thank you. So when people come to the show, they'll know how to pronounce your name. <laughs> so according to your website, you're a visual artist, a book illustrator, graphic designer, and occasional crafter. Between all those different activities, do you have a favorite, or do you like to bounce around between your different uh, activities? I think it depends a lot in uh, the season of my life. So as a graphic designer, I'm a trained graphic designer and that's my day job. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much takes up part of my day. I love painting and uh, so that is what fulfills me, so I do a lot of that. But having said that, sometimes you get burnt out or you just need a break and that's when the occasional crafting comes into the picture. And uh, then I'll play. I like to play with different materials. I might want to try some weaving or embroidery or air dry clay. And uh, that helps me just kind of shift the block and I can go back to painting, which is my first love. The children's book uh, has been a lifelong passion and I've been really lucky to have illustrated like 17 or 18 children's books, uh, both in India and in the United States. Are, are there any that uh, we can go out and buy right now and, and see your artwork? I, I'm sure you can find some on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was some, a couple of books that I designed for, illustrated for a publishing house here in Glendale. Uh, they were called the Rowdy Raccoon series. And uh, there are some which are educational. There was one which is at the firehouse with dad. 
um, those were printed in the United States. And uh, there are some that were printed in India. I'm not really sure they're readily available. But they're a passion, and though I've paused on doing children's books right now, that's something that's still a dream, and uh, hopefully someday. Great, thank you. You know, you, you, meant, you talked a little bit about how sort of like you'll, you'll be in a block with one activity and then you, you just move to another. But can you tell us about how the different activities influence one another and or how they differ from one another? So it's interesting how they influence one another and I've noticed that more recently. Uh, so part of my experimentation also involves taking classes to expand because I'm not a trained fine artist. I'm a graphic designer by training and profession. So I've been doing a lot of classes with uh, primarily Mesa Community College. So I've done fiber arts and printmaking. Uh, then there's life drawing, watercolors. So uh, somehow they kind of find their way into my art making practice. And I found that recently I've been using a lot of thread and embroidery and collage work in my uh, watercolor, like embroidered on paper. And recently I've started including um, printmaking in my art as well as incorporating uh, small ceramic objects or clay objects. So I find that playing with them allows me to get comfortable and kind of explore ideas without the pressure of actually it being a thing that can be you know, shared or sold. It's just my own personal um, experimentation. But I and find- And you don't have to take it so seriously. Exactly, you know. You can just be free, and if it if you mess up, like no one even knows you've done this yeah. thing, <laughs> this <Yeah>. ugly thing. <laughs> you can just leave it aside right. and you know try something else. But I I'm so surprised to see how that those thoughts kind of percolate and they stay in my head. And as I try to express myself more and more, I find them uh, creeping into my art practice, uh, where you know uh, I'll be stitching on paper and uh, making little clay objects and uh, recently experimented with some dolls. I did an excellent uh, doll making workshop uh, with an artist called Kimberly Camp. And uh, so that kind of just expands my way of thinking. Uh, and so I've tried to make dolls and paint their clothes and stitch them and use clay to make their head and their hair. And so it all eventually, I think, comes together. It does come in at some point. It does. Yeah, I, I know that process. So um, how did you begin painting? You're, you say it's your first love. Uh, how did that start? I've thought of myself as an artist since I remember. Uh, but I think more clearly when I was four and I made the drawing of a hoopo bird in my backyard. I still think it was quite a masterpiece <laughs> for a four-year-old. Uh, I've always, always wanted to draw and paint, and uh, that's been my passion since I was as early as I can remember. And it was almost like a no-brainer to uh, go into art as a profession. Except when I was in high school, I realized that it may not be a um, sustainable profession to be an artist, especially when you're in high school. You don't know if anyone will ever buy your art. And you don't know, like a lot of times you don't know any professional artists and you don't know how it works, like the business side of things. Absolutely, and I didn't come from a family of artists, so I didn't have that uh, exposure to what art as a uh, career could be. So I did the next best thing, which was uh, study to be a graphic designer, uh, which seemed like it had a career path that I could understand and could grow 
uh, into. And so I did um, my first few years, uh, I worked with an ad agency in Mumbai and then started my own design studio. But I've always been drawn away from client work to express myself more. And so I finally come to that you know, happy medium recently mm -hmm. where I can kind of do both. So Shachi is from Mumbai, India, and she moved to Chandler in August 2001. A lot of her illustrations contain Western fairy tale characters exploring her journey from surviving to thriving in Chandler, Arizona. That change and that shift is evident in some of your artwork. You, you drew some inspiration there. Can you tell us about uh, the inspiration for this show? Moving into the valley in August is probably not the best move <laughs> because uh, I, moved, uh, I moved to the United States after uh, getting married. So we got married in December. We flew into California on J January 1st, 2001. But a few months down the line with the dot-com bubble uh, bursting and you know lots of changes going on, we decided to move to Arizona where my husband's brother had uh, an office and business. And so we drove in and I remember stepping for gas uh, somewhere inside of Arizona. And it felt like, you know, we just walked into an oven. I wanted to turn around and drive right back. I was like, it's just not, it's not humanly possible to live in this. And so, yes, that has definitely influenced, the whole show is probably influenced by that, that one move to Arizona. Because while we were in California, it felt really close to the life I was living back in Mumbai. Uh, there was uh, a community that we had, uh, the weather seemed kind of closer. But moving to Arizona, I felt like I completely cut ties. And it was a whole new world that I was suddenly thrown in. And so a lot of my art in this uh, show kind of deals with how I experienced the first few years in Arizona. I, um, there were lots of reasons that made it uh, such a challenge because I didn't drive when I came here. I also found that visually Arizona felt very uh, cookie cutter like everything because of that desert coloring that we have on all the homes and there's probably like a CVS or Walgreens at every corner. I would Circle get lost. Yes, exactly. There was no GPS in those days. Like your right. phone didn't just tell you where to go. And so there were lots of little things that added up and made me feel like I was the Rapunzel in her little, you know, sand castle here. It's also Arizona. not very walkable. You know, downtown Chandler is and you know, some of the other downtowns around, around the valley are but going between the different downtowns, you, you, you just almost have to drive. Yeah, you have to. So that was a big challenge that the heat that kept me indoors and the not being able to drive. Um, there were so many other challenges like the visa status I was on was a dependent wife visa that did not allow me to work. So I kind of right away lost my identity because that's pretty much what a large part of my day was my job. And then I came here and I suddenly, initially, I'll be honest, I thought that was awesome. I had a break, a forced break. <laughs> but I think that grows old after uh, maybe a month. And you get lonely. And you get lonely. And I didn't know people here. I didn't have friends. And there were so many things that felt like uh, a barrier between, you know, having a life and feeling like I belonged. Looking back on those days, is what kind of um, has influenced the show, that all the pieces in the show kind of play off of those moments in my life that were very challenging. 
and I can now look back with a little bit of humor, but then uh, at that point they were very hard. And I'm sure there's, it speaks to a lot of people who have that same transition. You may, you know, you could come from another state or another country, and then you find yourself in this situation where um, everything feels new and different. Shachi describes her move to Arizona during that time in her life, like Alice in Wonderland falling down the rabbit hole in limbo, just floating in this space, not really home or yet landed. She goes on to describe her artwork for anyone that hasn't seen it. So a lot of my artwork, especially in this show, I would say is figurative and autobiographical. So there's lots of self-portraiture. My primary uh, medium, for the most part, is like water-based mediums like watercolor and uh, acrylic gouache and gouache. Uh, so you'll find a lot of, um, lot of color, which is my Indian heritage. We are surrounded by color in India, so that kind of is part of your DNA. I'm also really influenced by folk art from around the world. And they have that particular way of using flat perspective and uh, bright colors. So that does seep into my art, as well as um, I'm fascinated with like miniature art that you find in India. There's uh, Mughal miniature, um, Rajasthani miniature, and even like Persian miniature art. And all these kind of form part of my art, which is a lot of storytelling. My art, I think each image um, has a little story inside of it. I can say with certainty that it has taken 20 years and I love, <laughs> I love uh, Arizona and specifically I love Chandler. I think of it as home uh, and I think of it as home for many reasons that I have grown to love it. I love the cookie cutters. I love the, <laughs> I love the color, the, the desert colored landscape. Uh, I have two boys who have been born in Arizona, they've grown up here, and it is definitely home to them. And because it's home to them, it's so much more home to me. I also have a dog. Uh, this is a new experience. We've never had a dog before. And uh, being a dog mom and a boy mom and just having lived here for 20 years has been a very enriching experience. And I would say that though I felt lonely and disconnected when I first came here, I think it is the community of people here that has embraced and encouraged and um, made me a part of the fabric of their lives here, that has what made me feel like this is home. Shachi's Between Two Worlds, Storytelling and Artwork is displayed at the gallery inside of the Center for the Arts, and you can find more information on it if you visit the Vision Gallery's website at visiongallery.org. Now, I promised you at the beginning of this episode that I would talk about public art, right? Well, in order to do that, I have to mention the Chandler Arts Commission, who, since 1983, has administered the city's Art in Public Places program. That program commissions and purchases unique works of art for the enjoyment of Chandler residents and its visitors. Basically, they help beautify the city we work and live in. I think Nick Rascona, who's a Tempe-based artist with a large public art installation on the southeast corner of Boston Street and Arizona Avenue, said it best. I think art in general is incredibly important. So the cool thing about public art is it's a gallery that people have to engage with. It's always up. It's, it's kind of confronts you as opposed to normal galleries where it invites viewers and viewers can come, you're, you're going to see it if you're walking past it. So 
It's kind of a cool way to hit people with art, blindsided or, or otherwise. <laughs> Right, so those pieces of art that we walk and drive past every day, like his sculpture titled Roommates, are there for our enjoyment. But who picks these public art installations that we see every day, and how do they choose them? The Chandler Arts Commission picks the public art pieces that are purchased by the city. The Chandler Arts Commission is made up of seven members, the way that the different public art exhibitions are chosen is through a process. We put out a call to artists, and the artists will then apply. The commission then looks at the different proposals along with different stakeholders. So for example, if it's on a parking garage and the parking garage project is funded through downtown development, then some of the stakeholders from that project will help decide. If it's a project that we're working on with police or fire, then some members from the police or fire departments will help choose the project. We will work with the artists and then whoever those different departments are to figure out the details of the best project. So the funding for these public artworks have been made available through the City of Chandler's Percent for Art Ordinance. What that means is that 1% of limited capital improvement projects, like new buildings and parks, is allocated for the acquisition, commission, and installations of public art. Now, a lot of those pieces are located in municipal buildings and on street corners, but you can also find them in area parks and other public areas throughout the city. Recently, artist Lauren Lee finished her mural in the downtown Chandler, South Portal Breezeway, and our expert on all things art and visual arts coordinator, Peter Bug, talked to her about her creative process. So how long have you been painting for, murals and otherwise? Well, I got my art degree at Arizona State University. I graduated in 2007. We did a little bit of painting there, but I wasn't a painting major. Um, I was a studio art major, so just I took a ton of different art classes that allowed me to get a degree. But then I became an art teacher, and there I got to explore a lot more different mediums because I had access to all the you know, supplies, and they really liked um, it was an art school. So they wanted their teachers to be studio teachers, meaning uh, they want us to work in classroom with the students, not so much teaching as working side by side which is a different type of model. Um, and that's where I first like ever even tried oil painting. Mm-hmm. And before I had really been watercolor, a lot of charcoal, stuff like that. I'd done one acrylic painting and that's where I started learning about how to oil paint. And from there, eventually I applied for my first mural. Okay. Um, and at, where was that? That was in downtown Phoenix at an okay. art gallery. Um, and that was a three birds mural. and. That was when I, when I got that mural, mm-hmm. I had to figure out what I was supposed to paint the mural in, <laughs> and that was my first time painting in acrylic. Okay. So, which is really crazy, actually, in looking back, but, because oil and acrylic are very different mediums, sure. totally. You know, like, you can work on an oil painting for, like, two days, and it's still pretty workable. And even acrylic, in Arizona. E- yeah, even in Arizona, especially if, like, during the winter, but with acrylic, you can work for about 10 to 30 seconds 
on any one section. And yes, then, and, then, and then it's dry. Yeah. So learning how to illustratively paint versus high blend painting, that's sort of the okay. difference between the two. But that's what I paint my murals in is acrylic. So I've, I've actually become fond of acrylic, like a lot more than I ever thought it would I would be. So now I do even my um, studio paintings, I use acrylic and then I'll just sort of detail with oil, okay. which is different because I used to be strictly for my first few years of painting an oil painter. So are you a full-time artist now or uh, is this a side gig? Oh no, <laughs> yeah, no, I've been a full-time <laughs> artist for like, I wanna say nine years at this point. You sort of address this, but more specifically, do you focus on murals or do you do smaller pieces as well? You know, I kind of just go wherever the universe takes me and it mm -hmm. seems that murals is where I'm supposed to be. I could tell this was a, a, an area that a lot of people walk through. Mm -hmm. And in downtowns, you know, I love downtown energies. I just, it's like one of my favorite things. Um, that's why I, I try to go to New York City every year. I love being downtown Phoenix. And then being out here, it was really interesting because I don't know if people know how active downtown Chandler is. I mean, it's really active. I think that a lot of Chandlerites know, but outside okay. of the city, um, pe people, I mean, they sort of sleep on it. But, yeah. but there's a lot going on down here. Oh my gosh. And so um, I wanted to make something that A, went with the other public art and also, um, was something that people, as they're walking through at night, mm -hmm. they felt safe in that breezeway and that was just a little, because usually I do really bright, different stuff. This was more like, I wanted it to be these like desert nights type. Yeah, of it's got like cooler thing. colors. It's, yeah. it's not, I mean, it's it's not dull, but mm -hmm. it's it's not the yellows and pinks and yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's super vibrant. It's just a different type of vibrancy, mm -hmm. which I really liked. And um, also putting animals of any type, but specifically birds as like spiritual creatures, in a place kind of creates this, um, it's a very specific type of feeling where it's like um, they're protective in a way. Sure, yeah. And so, and I really made friends with them when I was painting them, which was weird because <laughs> sometimes I paint birds and they're kind of flat, but other times they're like super there, like yeah. almost like uh, not guardians, but something something of that nature. And I really love these two birds out there. Um, did, did you name them? Are they a couple? I did there, not it's name any backstory? Them. I think that they're two. No, I don't think they're a couple. One is definitely um, a boy, the one on the left. And I don't know about the one on the right, but um, it was just interesting because usually I paint one. I always call the first one Neo, like just because the yeah. first. Uh -huh. And then the second one usually is just, or the third, fourth, fifth, however many birds I'm painting seem to just sort of follow in suit. But this this one, I don't know, the second one almost was more special. I really like their legs too. Um, so there's just little... It, it was a really kind of cool process. I don't know if I've just painted so many birds that now it's just something I have now. I can just do wherever. I can just paint a bird anywhere. But um, it's very cool to paint all their little feathers and um, all the texture on the on their skin. I don't know what it's called. It's fur. I don't think it's fur. I don't know. I guess feathers. Sure, yeah, just the feathers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, their bodies and their wings and stuff. And so it was really cool. Cool. Can you tell us about the process of physically painting the mural? Yeah, I always have an assistant with me, especially at night murals, um, just to always have someone else out there. Um, she's great. Um, I used to be her teacher, actually, when I taught at that high school. Mm -hmm. So she's assisted me for like five or so years, uh, depending on the project, whenever she's available. We worked at night at first, and then we switched over to working in the mornings, because even at night, the wall's still radiating heat, which is oh, okay, yeah. wild, you know, how hot it gets here. It's right. pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, I just use brushes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, So it's not spray paint? We, we have, oh, we yeah, have... a little bit of spray paint. Okay. Mm -hmm. Especially with stucco, just so, like, I'll do the base 
I'll be I'll do the base mm -hmm. paint and, mm -hmm. and spray paint so that it fills in all those tiny little crevices yeah. and stuff. Yeah. If not, you're just going to be jabbing the brush into yep. the wall. Yep. Yeah. So usually with stucco, I'll do spray paint base and then and then use my high pigment paints on okay. top. And then. What are some challenges and rewards that you face in painting murals in general, as well as any that are specific to this project, aside from the heat? <laughs> you don't want to talk about the heat at all. <laughs> no, I mean, it just it's something we all face. So. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, like, how did you get around uh, the heat? Well, really, we just worked shorter hours, which isn't ideal, but it's possible to do. Um, uh, luckily, the first week we worked was really, we got a free pass, sort of, because mm -hmm. it was still in the 90s. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you got to respect that heat, you know? Yeah, yeah, stay safe. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, no, the challenge is, hmm, you know, every time you work for a city um, or a specific area, I think you want to go down there. You know, it's important because... See it in person. Mm -hmm, and feel, feel the energy, see what they're looking for, like what's missing in that space. Um, so it was actually really cool because I feel like I met a lot of people mm -hmm. out here. People are very friendly. Yeah. And um, a lot of people stopped talk all walks of life, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool because that's not always the case depending on where you are. Gotcha. And uh, so I did enjoy that. We loved all the restaurants around here. Mm -hmm. We were at Chiba Hut every day. I was drinking Kool-Aid every day, which is not really ideal, but... Um, <laughs> Stay hydrated. Yeah. And then we went to, we wanted to go to the chop shop and... There's like so many uh, places and the steakhouse was right there. And right. so it was It was like I wanted to come back, which was cool. I was like, I'm gonna get dressed up and come downtown Chandler. Awesome. <laughs> Along with this downtown Chandler mural, Lauren has signed off on several others scattered all over the valley. You might have seen them while driving through downtown Mesa on the main street, maybe inside the Republic Empanada and the Urban Garden next door, also in Mesa, possibly on a three-story building on Soho Scottsdale, or even walking in downtown Phoenix where you can see three birds in flight. But Peter's favorite? Don't Wake the Dreamer mm. um, in Tempe on Hardy. Uh, I used to live over there, and I would I would bike by it almost every day. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember when you when you were painting. I didn't know you at that time, <laughs> but I remembered being excited about it, and then like seeing it when it was when it was finished. Yeah. Every time I go through Tempe, I always take um, Hardy in, instead of other ways, so I can drive mm -hmm. by, you know, my mural and say hi. And that was a yeah, that was a beautiful mural. I'm I'm glad the city was open to a design that was more surreal. I know Peter and Lauren described the mural, but I feel like you have to be there, standing in front of it for you to really take it all in. There's two birds, different shades of blue that range all the way from a baby blue to a deep teal, and our desert staple, cacti. The Desert Nights mural pulls you in as the slanted lines in the background meant to represent the night draw you into the breezeway that leads you into downtown Chandler shops and restaurants. Lauren did a fantastic job with this mural, and if you want to check it out and keep up with all of her work, you can find her on Instagram, at Miss Lauren Lee. Now, you know I can't just talk about one Chandler mural, can I? Well, technically I can, but as a staple in the downtown Chandler community, Serrano's Mexican food restaurants has a beautiful mural representing their heritage, family, and of course, food, done by the father-son duo Champ and Such Styles. 
While we're on the topic of food, you might have seen the mural that they also completed on the west-facing wall on the side of Sandtown, also in downtown Chandler, or maybe the mural that they completed in front of Courthouse, just right across the street from City Hall. You get the gist. Good art speaks for itself, or I guess in this case I do. And that's how we got through the first art episode. Good times, good paints, and good friends. All right, that's all I have for you guys. This podcast is brought to you by the City of Chandler. Make sure you check back next week for a new episode. And if you want to tap in with our social media, you can find us on all platforms through the City of Chandler and the ChandlerAZ.gov website. Take it easy, y'all.